Well, what a difference a week makes. Last week, the East Coast was getting pounded with a snowstorm. This weekend, we're talking about whether we could be out golfing in it today. For those of you who are excited to get your snow, congratulations. I'm glad you got your snow. However, um, I am really glad we didn't get more than what we got. Um, I have a sister who lives in Winchester, Virginia. She sent me a picture this week of snow at her house. There was a uh, uh, snowbank that was right in front of the house, and she's standing in front of about 10 feet of snow. They actually got 33 inches at her house, and maybe it's because of me spending time living up north, but I like a snow where it is beautiful, and I can go play in it, and I don't have to shovel the sidewalks afterwards. And that's what we had. Actually, I put out a post on Facebook inviting people to come up last Saturday to help with removing the snow. I'll tell you, the only reason I got out of the parking lot was, got out of my truck in the parking lot was to take a picture. Because by the time I got here at 10 o'clock in the morning, the parking lot was almost completely clear. And I am so grateful for the Lord shoveling our parking lot last week. So I will tell you, our theme this year is going deeper. I don't want to go deeper like my sister did with the 33 inches of snow. I'm good with what we have. Well, in addressing the need for us to go deeper today, I want us to look at a king who consciously made a choice to go deeper than any of his recent predecessors. And what's so striking about this king and his journey is that nobody would have seen it coming. In fact, there was nothing to indicate that there would be any type of revival. In a way, this king is hitting the reset button for the people of God. It's a time of renewal or revival that brought great pleasure to God. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles. We're going to be reading chapter 14. And actually, we're just going to look at the first six verses for right now. 2 Chronicles chapter 14, looking at verses 1 through 6. A little bit later, we'll uh, read a little bit else from chapter 14 and then just a little bit from chapter 15 as well. And we're reading about the story of King Asa. Uh, we don't hear a whole lot about him. We hear about David and Solomon and Saul and different individuals like that. But I will tell you that King Asa was perhaps one of the greatest kings that the people of God would ever have. This is what it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, and I believe it's on the screen for you as well. And Abijah rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. Asa, his son, succeeded him as king. And in his days, the country was at peace for 10 years. Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He removed the foreign altars and the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and to obey his laws and commands. He removed the high places and incense altars in every town in Judah, and the king was at peace under him. He built up the fortified cities of Judah since the land was at peace. No one was at war with him during those years, for the Lord gave him rest. God has always longed for renewal with his people. In Asa's time, the people of Judah had drifted far from the Lord. They had reached a point where it seemed as if nobody cared how far they were from God. God was an afterthought, literally an afterthought, where generations have passed since the people have genuinely worshipped God. Yet, 
in Asa, we see the truth of Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29, which says, If you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you look for him with all your heart and with all your soul. Jeremiah says something very similar to that in Jeremiah 29, 13. Now, as we look at Asa, I want us to start by considering his unlikely pursuit of God. Asa was the third king of Judah during the period of the divided kingdom. And what makes Asa's revival so unlikely is that there was nothing in his family heritage to suggest that he would lead the people to seek the Lord. His great-grandfather was a man named Solomon, and all of us have heard of Solomon as one of the great kings. He sought wisdom, and early on, his reign as king was something that truly did honor God. Yet by the time his reign ends, he has moved very far away from God. In order to maintain peace treaties with other nations, he entered into marriage relationships with many women. In fact, it's hard for me to understand how we could call him wise with that many wives. I think he had 700 wives. Um, Why would any man want that? I love my one, but there's no way I want 699 more. Along with each one of those wives often came religious practices And what happened is even during the time of King Solomon, the people of Judah, the people of Israel began to drift away from the one true living God and allowed other forms of worship to be a part of their daily lives. Of course, we have Solomon as the great-grandfather. Then again, there's also his grandfather. He was a man named Rehoboam who the Bible says did not seek the Lord with all his heart and allowed idolatry to grow in Judah. By the way, Rehoboam is simply following in the footsteps of his father, so it shouldn't surprise us that that would happen. Then you have Asa's dad. He was king, and his name was Abijah. It was referenced there in the first verse. Well, 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 3 gives us a good description of him. It says, he committed all the sins his father had done before him. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his forefather had been. So I want you to consider, you have Solomon who started very well, but his life took a downward spiral. Then you have Rehoboam and he didn't even start well. Then you have Abijah, he didn't start well. What would lead us to believe that Asa would be the instrument that God would use to bring about revival? Considering that same passage in 1 Kings 15, 3, just 10 verses after it identifies Abijah as one who dishonored the Lord, we read, Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all his life. Nine times the Bible says that King Asa sought the Lord. And seeking the Lord is not something you can do with a divided heart. What's interesting here is it's during a time of division. They're in the divided kingdom where you have Judah on one side and Israel on the other. Yet even with the division that's there, we have one who has determined that he will not be divided in his heart. For he will be solely focused on the Lord. The first thing that I want you to catch today is that you can start over. You can be transformed, but it requires a choice. You can be redeemed regardless of your family history. 
In Asa's case, as I've already mentioned, his granddad, his great-granddad, his father, they were all ungodly. In addition, chapter 15 tells us that he later would have to have his own grandmother deposed or put away because she made an idol for worship. You almost feel sorry for Asa as he clearly comes from a really rough background. Have you ever seen someone where you looked at their background, their family life, and you thought to yourselves, how did he or she become the person that they are? You look at all the baggage, all the junk in their past, and you wonder, how could it happen? Much like Asa, when we seek the Lord, regardless of our past, we have a hope, and we have a present and a future to look forward to. I was talking with a group of men earlier this week about our spiritual family history. We were looking at 2 Timothy in chapter 1, where Paul reminds Timothy of his heritage. He had a mother and a grandmother, two individuals who had sought the Lord. And as they sought Christ, now we see Timothy doing the same. As we we reflected, we looked at our own heritage One shared that he could go back four generations to identify individuals who had been seeking the Lord. And really, he had a strong heritage that had been in place for a very long time. Another reflected on a mother-in-law who modeled God's love, passing it on to this generation today. For me, it was my mom who was determined to break the cycle of defeat. My mom was physically, sexually, and emotionally abused as a child. She joined the army just to leave home, but a new environment did not change the problems that existed. Some problems followed her and others seemed to pile on. It wouldn't be long before she found herself to be an alcoholic in an unhealthy relationship with a man who would become my father. She grew up in a household where my grandmother would be married five times, something that was very unique at that age in history. She traded that in for a husband who would be married seven times. Among the father figures in her life, at least two of them would spend time in prison, one for murder. At the birth of my sister, her then husband, my father would also be in jail. Within a couple years, my dad would almost exclusively be out of the picture, and my mom found herself raising three children on her own, living in the projects in Washington, D.C., dependent on the welfare system. But the worst part was not found in her financial poverty or even in unhealthy family relationships, which clearly existed. The worst part of her story was that she had no hope. Sure, she worked and she made some money, enough to at least be able to take care of some basic needs, but the idea of breaking free from all of this seemed far from an actual possibility. All of that changed when my mom met Jesus Christ. Suddenly there was hope that she wouldn't have to remain in the same cycle of abuse and defeat. She worked incredibly hard. She became faithful in church as well as making sure her kids were faithful in church. She walked away from the alcohol, and even her language began to change. Consider the idea that had she not broken free from slavery to sin, it would be very unlikely that I would be standing before you today as a pastor. How grateful I am 
for a family heritage that changed. A mother who decided she was not going to allow, to allow her past to define her, but rather she would be made new in Christ. I wonder today if there aren't some here who need to do the same thing. Your family history stinks. It's filled with poverty, abuse, brokenness, divorce, and emptiness associated with Christ either being absent from your home or nothing more than that token idol that you pull out whenever there's a problem. Maybe it's time for you to decide to fully be committed to Christ as Asa did. Maybe it's time for you to hit the reset button on your life. Well, as we continue to look at Asa, we see the effect of his decision to faithfully seek the Lord. The first thing that we see is peace. I mentioned earlier that times of peace were very unique in this generation. It was almost a way of life. If you were going to live, you were going to have to fight. Well, for the most part, Asa and the people of Judah will experience peace under the reign of Asa. For the first 10 years of his reign, there is peace. And there is no question in Asa's mind why there is peace. He says in verse 7, the land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We sought him and he has given us rest on every side. There's a direct correlation according to Asa. There is a connection between seeking the Lord and peace coming to the land. Even when battles did arise, Asa knew where to go to find his internal hope and peace. Ten years into his reign, there is a mighty Cushite army that is knocking on their door. And although Asa's army is strong, they are far outnumbered by the Cushites. So listen to Asa's prayer in verse 11. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, Lord our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this vast army. Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere mortals prevail against you. Notice that Asa's desire to seek the Lord has granted peace, but that does not mean that there won't also be struggles. Ten years into his reign, he's facing a great army, but in the midst of the struggle, he has a place to turn for his safety. He has a place to go to find his peace and his hope. Asa calls out to the Lord, admitting that he doesn't have what it takes to fight this army. He knows that he's outnumbered. He knows they're a great army, and he knows that if it's just him against them, he's in trouble. So he calls upon the Lord. No matter how faithful you are in seeking the Lord, there will be times that you will need to ask for his help. There will be times that struggles will arise. Maybe it's a family issue. Your son or your daughter is making foolish choices. You lose your job. You wake up and you realize that you're in trouble financially. Or maybe it's something from your past that catches up to you. Struggles will come. But when those struggles come, you need to do the same thing that Asa does. Admit that you don't have what it takes and call upon the Lord and ask him to be your advocate. Ask him to intervene on your behalf. But I want you to listen very closely to this. A part of why this is such an easy task for Asa, 
why it's so easy for him to simply call upon the Lord is because he's been doing it all along. He doesn't wait until the moment of crisis to say, you know what, God, now I really want a relationship with you. God, I really need you to help me today, so we're going to be friends today. I want you to to be my co-pilot today. And then the moment that the problem is gone, then you act like, well, well, God, who is that? He's not a part of my life. You act like Peter. I don't even know the man who said he didn't know Jesus. What makes it so natural for Asa to call upon the Lord is he has been doing it all along. Maybe today is the day that you need to begin to call upon the Lord. You say, well, I'm not really in a moment of crisis right now. Good. Now is the time to call upon the Lord. So that when that crisis does come, you'll be ready to stand up. Likewise, you need to seek the Lord now. Don't wait for the problem to arise. Call on him now. This principle that God's peace will be present when we earnestly seek the Lord is most clear in the words of the prophet. His name was Azariah. In 2 Chronicles 15, verses 1 and 2, and then in verse 7, this is what it says. The Spirit of God came on Azariah, son of Oded. He went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. But as for you, be strong and do not give up. For your work will be rewarded. I love the way Azariah says that the Lord is with you when you are with him. You know, I've talked a little about the peace that comes with a relationship with God. I also want you to realize that the presence of God is what makes everything worthwhile for us. I remember several years ago having the opportunity to develop a relationship with a man named Norman Wilson. Norman Wilson is a great man, in my opinion, probably one of the best individuals in the Westland denomination. Uh, He was the voice of a radio program called the Westland Hour that uh, he did it for decades. In fact, he was the original voice and he did it for, I think, about 30 or 40 years. It was a long time. Uh, He was also in charge of the Westland Publishing House. Uh, His brother is perhaps one of the most well-respected speakers in the Wesleyan Church, and also he was one of the best uh, uh, general superintendents we had. His name was uh, Earl Wilson. Norman Wilson and I had a connection. We, we met uh, initially at our church, and he was there for revival. Two weeks later, I was preaching at revival, and he was preaching at the same revival. I was the youth speaker. He was the adult speaker. And uh, anyways, we developed a little bit of a friendship. Not long after that, maybe a year or so down the road, I was at General Conference, and here I am in this huge facility, and they've got these huge concourses. I'm talking uh, probably the walkway is as wide as from this part of the church all the way to the back, and, and there are all these people, and all of a sudden I hear someone yelling at the top of their lungs, Mike McClung, Mike! I'm wanting to duck because I don't know what it's for. It could be something bad. I look back and there's Norman Wilson yelling for me, trying to get my attention. We would develop a very strong relationship and he would pour into me. He would become one of my mentors who would help me with a lot of the big decisions that I've had to make in ministry over the years. He has become my friend. But I want you to know that for me, it feels like I'm dealing with royalty in the Wesleyan Church. Because he has had such a significant influence in so many people's lives. 
Well, consider the fact that God invites all of us into a relationship with him so that we too can interact with him and he gets to pour into us. Not just as an evangelist poured into me so many years ago, but God gets to pour into every single one of us to allow his spirit to dwell within our lives so that we can be changed, we can be transformed. What a privilege that is for us. The Lord is with you when you are with him. I wonder, is the Lord with you today? The last thing I'll point out to you this morning is the idea that this ought to be a contagious thing. The rest of the world, when they see us truly living in the presence of God, under the blessing of God, there is a tendency for others to come and join. The rest of the world longs for genuine intimacy with God. They may not tell you they do, but they do. The message that we see here is found in 2 Chronicles 15.9. Asa has done well as their king, but there was still work to be done. So we're told that he calls everyone in the kingdom together. Look at the verse. It says, Then he assembled all Judah and Benjamin, and the people from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon, who had settled among them, for large numbers had come over to him from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. Now, the message he would deliver would be an incredibly important message. Actually, what he would do is he would give them, these are the things that we must do. They've already torn down idols. They have said, we don't want to pursue the things of the past. But now he's going to challenge them. Now we must begin to seek the Lord together, to rebuild the temple of God, to be able to worship him as if he is the only living God. And while that's an important message, there's something else that catches my attention here. Remember that this is during the time of a divided kingdom. The two kingdoms were Judah and Israel. Now, Israel is by far the larger of the two. In fact, there are nine and a half tribes that make up the kingdom of Israel. There are 12 tribes total, so that means you have two and a half tribes that make up the tribe of Judah. But I want you to notice what he says here. Then he assembled all Judah, Benjamin, and the people of Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon. If there are only two and a half tribes, why is he addressing five tribes? It is because as the people of Israel saw that God was moving and that the people of Judah were experiencing the presence of the Lord, many of them began to move. They said, we don't want to stay here because we want to be in the presence of God. So they chose to leave the land of Israel to make their home in Judah. The rest of the world, when they see the Spirit of God moving among God's people, they too will long for that same movement. It is John Wesley who is often credited as saying, Catch on fire and others will love to come and watch you burn. As we experience intimacy with God, others will long for that same thing. Now today's message is primarily about our need for renewal. Some would call it revival. I don't really care what you call it. It is a time for us to hit the reset button and to renew the covenant between God and man. 
It is an invitation to experience God in a real way that would infiltrate every aspect of our lives. I'm going to open up the altar in just a moment. Maybe you need to hit the reset button in your life. Maybe your relationship with God isn't what it needs to be. I want to invite you to come and to pray. I mentioned John Wesley earlier. He was the founder of the Methodist movement from which the Wesleyan Church originated. Well, in 1780, he wrote a pamphlet called Directions for Renewing Our Covenant with God. His thought was that from time to time, believers need to reaffirm their covenant with God. Typically, this has become an annual service at many Methodist churches, often part of their New Year's celebration. But in Wesley's mind, it could be done any time. Let me read a portion of that prayer. It says, I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full or let me be empty. Let me have all things or let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Are you at a point where you can pray that prayer? Where you would say, God, I belong to you. And whatever you want to do with me, Lord, do it. I'm yours and you're mine. And we sang earlier about being drawn closer to the Lord, just a closer walk with him. I wonder if maybe there aren't some here today who need a closer walk with him. I'm going to ask everyone if you'd stand and bow your heads. And then as you do, Margie's going to play just one verse of a song. And as she plays, maybe today you feel the need to come and have that time of renewal. We invite you to come during this time. come before you today, Lord. We've already had one altar call this morning. We've already had time where we've called out to you and asked you to renew within us that intimacy. Lord, as we come before you now, we recognize that we are incomplete without you. Lord, we come before you and we pray much like John Wesley's prayer was. Lord, we are yours, and you are ours. Lord, I pray today that you would have your way in us. 
Lord, there are needs that are present in this room, and we recognize that. But the physical needs of this room pale in comparison to the spiritual needs that are present in our midst. Lord, as we come today, Lord, I ask that you would intervene in us, and I pray that from this moment forward, we might be able to walk in an intimacy that is so real, there's no way it can be mistaken as anything else. Lord, we confess our failures. We confess the times that we have fallen short. Lord, we are sorry that we have made ministry about anything other than you. Lord, I pray today that you would fill us and that you would use us. Remind us of what it was like when we first gave our hearts to you. Remind us of the overwhelming sense of joy and excitement that overwhelmed us. Lord, I pray today that you would fill us once again with your spirit. For those who have gathered at the altar this morning, Lord, I pray that each one would right now sense the infilling of your spirit as they confess their sins to you, as they confess their weaknesses, their brokenness, whatever it is they may be bringing. Maybe they're in a right relationship, but they just feel like it's been a while since they felt that closeness with you. Lord, I pray right now that they would know that they are in the presence of a holy God. And then I pray that you would empower them to go out and to make a difference in this world. Lord, I pray that the rest of the world would look at us and they would see something that they desire. Not us, but the spirit that lives in us. Lord, I pray for your anointing on these individuals at the altar, but each individual in the pew as well. You know the baggage that we carry with us. Lord, help us not to be defined by that baggage anymore. Help us not to be defined by our past or the family history or heritage that we have. But help us from this moment forward to be defined by the Spirit of God that is dwelling in us and the forgiveness of sins that has come through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that your will would be done as you work in us. If that means troubles and trials and all kinds of struggles, Lord, I pray that you would keep us in the center of your will and help us to remember constantly where to go in the midst of those storms. To you. Father, we praise you. We look forward to seeing what you do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I will tell each of you today that God has a plan for every person who's here. I don't know some of the folks that are here today. Even as I stand here and I look out, there are faces that aren't familiar. But I do know that every one of you, of you is here because God desired you be here today. To know that God is the one who will walk with you and he will give you the victory as long as we continue to seek him with an undivided heart. I praise the Lord for his work in us today. As we prepare to leave this place, I send you out with the blessing of God and ask that the Spirit of God would go with you. He would guide you. He would keep you. And in the days that would follow, that you would be his light to this community. Thank you for being here today. Go in peace.